where we're in this series on God, and so far we've been talking mostly about how God is so far above us, transcendent, holy, distinct from us. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all these points point to His distance from us. He's just far, far above us, and we dare not forget that. Patrick, a couple of weeks ago, talked about God's love, and that brings God a little bit more on the closeness side to us. And today we're going to continue on that track. We're going to talk about God the Revealer. He's distant, He's far above us, and we cannot forget that. And yet He loves us and wants to communicate with us. In Genesis 1, in the creation account, one thing we learn, among many, is that God talks. God said, let there be light. God said, let the land produce vegetation. God said, let the water teem with living creatures. God said, and God said, and God said. And then God spoke to the man and to the woman. So this is not some distant, unmoved mover. This is not some positive energy. This is not some spirit impossible to define. But He is far, far above us and way beyond us. And still he wants to communicate with us. One year in my Bible reading, I was going through the Bible and highlighted all the times God is mentioned, which is quite a bit. And the number one activity of God is speaking. God said, the Lord said, the Lord declares, and on and on. And he also reveals himself in a multitude of ways. He spoke to Moses in fire and thunder and the burning bush. He spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. He used a donkey. I think God was showing a sense of humor, speaking through a jackass so he could speak through me. Uh, he used a whale to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or some of you, too. Anyway, <laughs> he used a whale to communicate to Jonah. He spoke through dreams and visions, direct verbal messages, storms and prophets, you know, just a variety of ways. The only way we can know anything about this God, who is so far beyond us and so above us, the only way we can know anything is if He chooses to reveal Himself to us. And without His gracious revealing, we have no way of finding or discovering or knowing anything about this God. I mean, sometimes people have this idea, well, I've got to find God. I've got to discover God. And let me tell you how I found God. No. No one finds God or discovers Him. That would be like an ant discovering and understanding Einstein. We cannot discover God. But if Einstein were able to become an ant and speak ant language in a way that ants could comprehend, that would be more analogous to us and God. We do not discover Einstein, and ants do not discover Einstein, and we do not discover God. So God has to come to us. He lowers himself to reveal himself. And there's two foundational truths we have to understand about this. And one is that the way God reveals himself is determined by him. Sometimes we want God to speak on our terms. We want a lightning bolt or a a voice from heaven, a vision. Uh, That song, open up the heavens, you know, and and I love that song. It's beautiful. But uh, sometimes uh, we want this dazzling display from God. And right now in this, wouldn't that be cool if God would do that right now? Just open up and just speak to us in this God voice and everything. But that's not our decision. God determines the kind of revelation we receive. Woody Allen once said in a movie, if God would only speak to me just once, if he would only cough, if I could just see a miracle, if I could see a burning bush or the seas part. Well, Woody Allen wants God to reveal himself on Woody Allen's terms, and God won't play the game. And I would say, you know, Woody, God has spoken to you. He's given 1,400 years of recorded speech, but you'd rather have a cough. 
God in His wisdom does not reveal Himself to us in the ways we would like Him to. First, it may not be good for us. And second, we already have a revelation. We want this Wizard of Oz God, the smoke and the fire and the power. And, and all we get is this guy called Jesus and a book called the Bible. And we, we want more than that. But here's the truth. The more spectacular the revelation, generally speaking, the less mature the recipients. In the Bible, the spectacular acts of God usually go along with less mature levels of spiritual life. The Israelites in Egypt, for example, and when they got delivered, went to the wilderness, they saw more spectacular signs than any generation in history. I mean, there is no doubt they saw the power of God, but they were one of the most faithless generations in history, grumbling and doubting, rebellious and disobedient. If God zapped us with a spectacular sign this morning and opened up the heavens right now, we might, I mean, that would be cool. I mean, we'd get excited for a while, and there would be a buzz in town probably for a few days. Did you hear what happened down at that church? But most people's faith in the long run would not increase. The faithful would still be faithful. The unfaithful might be dazzled for a while and maybe come back next Sunday to see if it happens again, but it would fizzle out. A dazzling display would not change things very much, and God knows that. In fact, Jesus once said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after miraculous signs. So if we're seeking spectacular revelation, it could be a sign of immaturity or even a lack of faith. Second thing, God is the superior being in this relationship. And after what we have studied with God in the recent weeks. This should be a no-brainer. But there's always a temptation for humans to reduce God and to exalt themselves and to reverse the roles. God, you do what I want you to do. Imagine you're being introduced, and I hate to even use this analogy, but I didn't know what else to do. Being introduced to the President of the United States, who is Donald Trump at this time, or maybe you're going to be introduced to the Queen of England or any famous person. Some of you be Bruce Springsteen or someone like that. But anyway, you're going to be introduced and you feel a little nervous probably, maybe even intimidated by this person, and you instinctively realize that he or she determines the level of communication and the extent of this relationship. Because he or she is the superior one. He or she will initiate the conversation. You don't run up to the president and say, hey, Donnie, how you doing, buddy? You know, Or you don't go to the queen and say, hey, queenie, babe, how's your bursitis? You just don't do things like that. We may want to know this person better. We may want a relationship, but we fully realize that this is a matter for them to decide and not us. If they decided to treat us with mere for, formal formalities or even they can brush us off, we, we might be disappointed, but we know we have no claim on their friendship. Well, it's the same way. God determines the extent and the boundaries of this relationship with him, and God determines the communication. Now, if Donald Trump would say, oh, Mark Weber, come here. Me? You want to talk to me? He said, yeah, I want to be your friend. And if Donald Trump approached me like that, I would be shocked, I would be amazed, I'd be speechless, probably confused, and this would be a good time for a joke, but I can't think of any. But anyway, I'd say, you want me? And I, 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 what did I do to deserve any kind of relationship with the president? And Donald says, I want to talk to you every day. I want to hear your concerns. I'm interested in what you're interested in. It would be unbelievable. No way. It is unfathomable that the president would want that kind of relationship with puny little me. What did I do to deserve that? It's exactly what God has done. Wants a relationship with puny little you and me. 
This eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent being, the God to whom the nations are a drop in the bucket, who is infinitely beyond everything, eternal and holy, totally other, that God wants to communicate with you. It's unbelievable. We don't deserve. We have no claim on Him. It is a relationship possible only because of His grace. Now, a Donald Trump parallel to God is a weak analogy, maybe even offensive. You have to multiply the distance between us and God a trillion times to understand this. To understand how superior it is and how much of an act of grace it is for him to speak to us. It is like Einstein becoming an ant. So please, please do not take this God in his communication with you for granted. Please, please understand what a privilege it is to, to, that he reveals anything about himself. So let me give you some ways he reveals himself. Number one, and the ultimate way, is through Jesus. John 14, 7, Jesus said, If you know me, you know my Father as well. 14, 9, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. John 1, 1, He is called the Word of God or the communication God. The clearest revelation is Jesus Himself. And it's not nature. If nature becomes the, your primary way of knowing God, then you will worship nature. You'll be a nature worshiper. You don't find God within yourself. That's a common thing today. But if you look to God from your own thoughts... Your own feelings, you'll become an eye worshiper, and God will look just like you. You don't find God through some preacher or teacher, because then you'll worship that person or that teaching. If you attempt to find God primarily through rules and commands, you'll become a legalist, like the Pharisees. They knew the rules and the commands, didn't know Jesus. See, in all these other areas, you can get glimpses of God, but if you were to see God face to face, you'll only see God in the face of Jesus Christ, because Christianity is Christ. Christianity is not a philosophy, even though there's good philosophy in it. It is not a doctrine, although it has its doctrine. It is not rites and ceremonies, although it has rites and ceremonies. Christianity is a person. You cannot talk to a doctrine. You cannot pray to a philosophy. You can only talk to a person, and Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, actually, through Jesus Christ. Now, I really, really am committed to the institution of marriage. I'm committed to my marriage. I believe in the institution of marriage. And Ellen is glad to hear that. But you know what Ellen really wants to hear? I'm committed to Ellen the personal. And you may be committed to Christianity, but it's better to say, I am committed to Jesus Christ, and I am His follower, and you know Him. One of the common things we hear people say today is, and we're encouraged to do this too, is, I want to be me. I just want to be myself. I don't. There's sometimes me stinks. And there's sometimes me is an idiot. I don't want to be me. I want to be like Jesus, which is the best expression of me. So if you want to learn how to be the best expression of you, follow Jesus because he is the best expression of what it is to be a human being. One of the claims he made was to be the bread of life, that he is the bread of life. And one of the implications of that is we are to feed on him. We get our sustenance from him. So I want to encourage you to feed on this bread of life, especially as we are leading up to Easter. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Read about him. Let him become your sustenance. You know, worship him because he is your best friend. And he is the ultimate revealer of God. 
You cannot know God except through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to start a study of the Gospel of Matthew. This is commercial time here. Um, first Sunday in April, it's in your bulletin there, just to learn more about Jesus and this ultimate revelation of God. And I want to invite you to participate. It, it is only for those of you who are not in Sunday school right now. If you're already in Sunday school, you stay in your class because you're already getting Jesus. And if we get too many to sign up for this, I'm really worried about that. Uh, we'll get others to help lead. But you need to know about Jesus. You cannot know the God of the, this universe without knowing His Son, Jesus. Second, He reveals himself, of course, through the Bible. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. God told Joshua, do not let this book depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So we have to become familiar with the written word, with this book. Read it. If you can't read, listen to it. You can get it somewhere to listen to. Uh, We cannot get the full impact of God speaking without this book. You have to make it a part of your regular diet. Jesus said the scriptures bear witness to me. So this book will bring you to Jesus. Psalm 119 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. It has 176 verses. Uh, Almost every verse has a word for God's word. Here's just a few of them. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? That's a good question. By living according to his word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. And then there's other passages. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And I love 1 John 2 for you young men. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives, it thrives in you. We know from research that Bible engagement is the number one catalyst of spiritual growth. There isn't even a close second. Get into the Bible. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Bible says. John Ortberg's a mega church preacher out on the West Coast, and I love uh, what he says in his sermons. He says, I have never known someone leading a spiritually transformed life who has not been deeply saturated in Scripture. So I want to issue a challenge this morning. I want you to read at least one verse from the Bible every day. One verse every day. And you should do it at the same time, so it becomes a habit. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, maybe noon, whatever. Same time every day. And you may find when you read that one verse, huh, I think I'll read a little more. But just commit one verse every day. And I'm going to take a vote right now, this morning. How many of you can read one verse every day? Raise your hand. Can you read one verse every day? Okay, 90% of you can read. Good. Now, I want you to turn to the person next to you. If they raise their hand and tell them, just do it. All right. I'd like your response say, I will, but I don't want to force anything. Here, number three. Third way God reveals himself is the church. Jesus is God's person to us. The Bible is God's word to us, and the church is God's people to us. We learn from other people people. The church helps reveal God's will for your life. 
in sermons, lessons, music. You learn a lot about God in music. Interaction with one another, having to forgive others, encouraging one another, praying for each other. Those are all ways God reveals himself to us. Even criticism is something God can use to, to communicate with us. Sometimes even hurt feelings. In this church, we are God's voice to each other. So who you are around is who you will become. You will naturally take on their theology and their concepts about life and their thinking and their attitude, the people you're rubbing shoulders with on a regular basis. That's why God wants you to be around God's people. And that's why Jesus set up the church and this, and this is His body and He wants to reveal Himself to us through the church. Now, we're not perfect. We know that. But that's part of the genius of the church. We learn how to forgive and forbear and reconcile. We are to encourage one another. So, I'm going to have you practice this morning. I want you to turn to the person next to you and encourage them. Now, let me give you some ideas. Maybe they look nice, or maybe they smell nice, or uh, you can just say, you know, it's good to have you here today. I want you to encourage them somehow, and be appropriate. Say something encouraging right now. Okay, that was God speaking to you. God speaks through His people. Now, we are also supposed to rebuke each other when it is needed. So, to the person next to you, if their colors are bad, or if they smell bad, or if uh, they're having a bad hair day, I want you to tell them right now, they need to hear a re- No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> But God uses the church and His people to speak to us, to encourage, at times to rebuke, sometimes just to set us straight. It is for our good. Now, there are 59 one another's in the Bible. I think they're all in the New Testament, and I have them listed here. Be at peace with each other, wash one another's feet, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Kind of a pattern there. Be devoted to one another and brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another and Christ accepted you. Let's go on to the next. We can't do all these. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you'll be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another. Love, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Uh, build each other up down at the bottom. Go on, yeah. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins. Down to 53. Greet one another with a kiss of love. We won't do that. Uh, Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Okay, and on and on and on. You get the idea. A lot of kissing, a lot of loving, a lot of forbearing, a lot of forgiving, a lot of encouraging. C.S. Lewis said when he first became a Christian, he thought he could do it on his own. Now, C.S. Lewis is probably the greatest Christian witness of the 20th century. And he said he could, he thought he could do Christianity on his own by retiring to his room and just reading theology. And he wouldn't go to church, he wouldn't meet with Christians. And here's what he said, I dislike very much their hymns, which I consider to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. Hmm. But but as I went, I saw the merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just six-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew, 
And then you realize that you are not fit to clean those boots. And it gets you out of your solitary conceit. C.S. Lewis admitted, because I didn't think I needed the church, it was just conceit. You need to be around other believers who are different from you. God reveals Himself through them. Your kids need to be in close proximity with other believers. And not just their age, but older people too. You older people, you need to be around kids in this church. They'll inspire you. Jesus knew without communal support, we could not make it. And this is why I'm sold on groups. Why we need to study Jesus from God's Word with God's people together. Number four, Holy Spirit or our conscience. The Holy Spirit is just God and Jesus living in you. Uh, I believe primarily the Holy Spirit reveals Himself through your conscience. The word conscience is used like 30 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it's positive. We know it's that inner capacity to discern right from wrong and wise from unwise. Paul in Romans 9 says, My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. But that conscience has to be trained by the Word and in the church and interaction with Jesus. If you're just relying on your conscience by itself, it will become misguided. I like what someone said, the Holy Spirit is like fertilizer. I know it's on the grass or on the field, but I can't see it. I know it's working, but I can't see it working. I don't know how it works either. All I know is the lawn or the field will eventually show its effect. We see the results eventually of the Spirit in our conscience, but it takes time and training. Circumstances, another one. I believe circumstances led me to Mount Pulaski. No doubt about it. The timing of everything, the so-called coincidences. Many of you have experienced that too. And then number six is creation. His power, His majesty, His beauty, the, the order. Romans 1 said God has been clearly revealed through what He has made. But creation is a very limited revelation. And many people, I think they like the God of creation and they'll worship the God of creation but they'll worship that God because he doesn't ask anything of them. That God doesn't demand anything. I just want to enjoy his works. And if that's the only revelation you have, it's probably not the Christian God you're worshiping. This is amazing. This God, this amazing God, wants to communicate with you. And Jesus is the primary way. You have to get to know him. Let me mention one other thing. All communication from God will not be as clear as we hope. I'd love to have him open up the heavens and we just had this clear, clear revelation. But Paul says, now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. And when God finally restores creation to its original design, and that gulf between us and God is disappearing, then we will have the full a fuller revelation of God. There's some things we just don't know today, but someday we will. He has spoken. Will you listen? Read one verse. Just one a day. You may end up thinking, boy, I'd like to read a little more. Just one. That's all you commit to. And it'll start making a difference. Let's pray. God, what an amazing, gracious Lord you are. So far above us, so beyond us, and yet communicating to us. And I pray for this church that we'll be so in touch with what you are saying and so in touch with Jesus and his word 
and with each other as, as the church, that we will more and more appreciate and understand the magnitude of who you are and your grace. Thank you. How can we not worship and praise you? We do this in Jesus' name. Amen.